0: Hello everybody, well this is a bit of an experiment. I'm videoing myself uh, recording episode three, sorry, chapter three. See, you're going to get all the mistakes, but you can see where I do it. It's in an ordinary house, Um, I don't use a studio and sometimes one of the animals comes and interrupts and then I usually try and edit it out. Um, Can't do any washing while I'm recording. Uh can't, um, can't kind of answer the door or the phone. Well, actually, if the phone goes, I have to just start again. But let's just cross our fingers and hope for the best. Uh, no music as yet, because the final edit will come without this introduction. But this will go on to YouTube so you can watch me recording. OK, right, here we go. Cleaves, Chapter 3. The weather worsened. It snowed heavily on the 28th of December, with large drifts blocking the streets. Royal bride or no, Lady Anne and her welcome party were all confined to Dover Castle. A freezing wind came in from the sea and we huddled by the fires, the fine ladies wrapped in fur. The plan had been to move on to Canterbury, where the archbishops were waiting to meet their future queen, but the highways were impassable. I spent most of the days with Lady Anne and her companions. The atmosphere was subdued. Lady Anne tended to speak with her German ladies, while us English women whispered in corners. But the Duchess of Suffolk, Lady Catherine, started to teach her some English phrases. Good morning, your grace, she said, smiling as she curtsied. Lady Anne returned the smile. Guten Morgen, good morning, your... She sighed in frustration. Your grace, Lady Catherine repeated. Good morning, your grace, Anne repeated quickly. You speak English very well, your grace complimented Lady Catherine. Once she heard the translator repeat it in German, Anne rewarded Catherine with a broad smile and a handshake. She didn't give up. She walked through the chamber, pointing to different objects and putting her head to one side until one of us gave her the name for it. Chair, bed, gown, hood. Anne repeated each word several times. Later, she would test herself moving around, naming whatever she remembered. After dinner, all the ladies relaxed while I played. Lady Anne turned to me and pointed. Lute player, said Lady Catherine. Lady Anne shook her head. No, no, name. I was touched. Lady Catherine had spoken of my function, just as she might have said I was a maid or a cook but Lady Anne wanted to know my name. Lady Catherine looked over to me and said, go ahead, Cat, you tell her. I obeyed. My name is Cat Cook, your grace. Well come, Cat Cook, Lady Anne said. She pointed at my lute. Play? I strummed a chord. Lady Anne shook her head. Me play, she demanded. I handed her the lute and she examined it closely. Then she tried to produce a note. A discordant sound issued from the lute and Lady Catherine winced. Lady Anne handed the lute back to me, pointed at herself, then at me. Oh, I see, your grace, shall I show you? I handed her back the lute, stood behind her chair and carefully placed her strong white fingers on the strings. She nodded enthusiastically and another sound came from the lute, slightly less unpleasant. She looked pleased. Ja, ja, danke. Thank you, her English was accented, but her voice was soft. We smiled at each other. And so I started to teach her to play the lute. She was a quick pupil, as she was in English. This shy young girl was cleverer and more determined than she looked. After a couple of days, the weather lifted. There was still some snow on the ground, but it was sunny and clear. It was decided to ride to Rochester, where the Duke of Norfolk would meet us and bring us to our new lodgings. I had forgotten this side of royal life. Whereas us ordinary people always sat by our own fireplaces and slept in our own beds, The court was continually moving, and the Lady Anne's party got larger and larger the more people she met. At least the chambers in Rochester were comfortable, and there were entertainments laid on to keep Lady Anne amused. On New Year's Day, we all exchanged presents, as is the custom. The Duke and Duchess of Suffolk gave Lady Anne a bolt of the finest blue velvet to be made into an English-style gown. She gave them a cask of the finest German wine. Will and I exchanged small gifts. He gave me some rose oil he had bought in Calais and I gave him the pot of quince jelly I had brought with me. We didn't have much time together, but we were patient. Once the party had arrived in London and Lady Anne had married, we would no longer be needed. Then we could go back to our little house and the simple life that we loved. That morning, we were all enjoying the bull baiting. The bull was a magnificent beast, throwing off the dogs with little effort, tossing them into the air like rags. It was sad to see the brave creatures going to their death, but it was unbelievably thrilling. Eventually, the bull was retired and the remaining dogs spared. Lady Anne joined in the clapping, her face flushed pink. We all came in to eat, our appetites sharpened by the cold and the excitement. After dinner, the ladies retired to Anne's privy chamber. Increasingly, she was asking for me to attend. My music blurred the divide between the German and English ladies and relieved the general anxiety. I played softly, while a few of the ladies' eyelids closed in repose. It had been a good meal. The bull-baiting started up again outside, and Lady Anne moved to the window to watch it. She was quite engrossed, clapping her hands on occasion and gasping at the antics of the bull. The door burst open, and a group of cloaked and booted men strode into the chamber. There was a stirring amongst the ladies. No eyelids were drooping now. The ladies turned one to another, their faces pale with shock. Was this a kidnap attempt? Lady Anne was so absorbed, she hadn't noticed. One of the men, the leader, I guessed, moved swiftly to the window, pulled Lady Anne into his arms and gave her a full kiss on the lips. Lady Anne spluttered and tried to escape from him, but he continued to kiss her. I realised suddenly that this was the king. No one else would have recognised him. The Duchess of Suffolk was outside with her husband, and all of the other ladies were German. He was fatter than I remembered, and what I could see of his hair was grey. The king stepped back, wiping his mouth with the back of his hand. Lady Anne stared at him with complete amazement. Fortunately, she was not afraid, but I could see that she was wondering what more madness the English would subject her to. The King turned away from her, his face long with disappointment. I knew I had to do something to rescue the situation, so I put down my lute and stepped into the centre of the chamber. I dropped a deep curtsy to the King. "'Your Majesty,' I said, speaking loudly and distinctly. I hoped that Lady Anne would understand the meaning of my gesture. King Henry looked at me for a moment, then said irritably, You have quite spoilt my sport, maid. Can you not see that I sought to surprise the Lady Anne? And now my trick is ruined by your foolishness. I kept my head bowed and muttered, I'm very sorry, Your Majesty. I was overcome by your presence. The King was somewhat mollified and waved his hand at me. "'Get up, get up, girl, and play us something gay!' As I stood up, I saw that all the ladies had curtsied, their heads almost on the floor. Lady Anne was standing stock still, staring at the king, her eyes glazed with shock. He swept off his bonnet and bowed deeply to her. Now she had an idea of what was coming. She curtsied in return. My lady Anne, I am pleased to meet with you, he said. I had hoped to surprise you by coming in disguise, as chivalrous knights are wont to do. But your silly maid has spoilt that. Welcome, Anne managed, then shrugged her shoulders and raised her eyebrows quizzically. It was clear she was indicating that she did not understand what was going on. Lady Catherine Willoughby, the Duchess of Suffolk, rushed into the chamber, followed by the translator. They both curtsied quickly to the king and then rushed to Lady Anne's side. Catherine put her arm around the girl's jewel-encrusted shoulder. The translator muttered something. Lady Anne's face cleared and she smiled. She curtsied once more, this time very deeply, and waited until the king raised her up. Your Majesty, Lady Anne is most distressed that she did not recognise you, the Duchess said. She is not aware of our chivalric traditions and the sports we enjoy in England. Of course, now you have doffed your cap. She can see from your face that you are her most beloved king, whom she has been yearning to meet. King Henry looked at the Duchess and then at Lady Anne. "'If a lady loves truly, then she will recognise her beloved, however he is disguised,' Henry said. It was clear that he had played one of the games he used to play on Queen Catherine of Aragon, turning up in her chamber in various ridiculous disguises. She, of course, would recognise him instantly, but would play along with the game good-humouredly. But Lady Anne had no experience of these games. She smiled pleasantly, but she looked dazed. Of course, she had been fed lies about Henry, told about him as though he was 20, lithe and handsome. It must have been a shock to see this fat old man scowling at her. But both of them were of royal stock and their training took over. The gentlemen were bade to join the ladies in some wine and I played long into the night. The couple made polite conversation through Anne's translator, but it was stilted and awkward. We were not unhappy when the King at last announced that he would go to his lodgings and allow us ladies to go to bed. By the next morning, he was away in his barge, going upstream to Greenwich. Will told me later that King Henry had been open about his disappointment. When Cromwell had asked him what he thought of Anne, he had said that she wasn't anything like as well as she had been described. The King added that if he had known what she looked like, he wouldn't have invited her to England. Alice, daughter, I don't know if this was true or something Cromwell made up, but I can tell you, Lady Anne was pleasant enough. Maybe not a peerless beauty, but fresh and comely. I'm used to hearing lies propagated about Henry's queens. And I tell you now, daughter, Lady Anne was not ugly. She did not smell. Maybe she wasn't his type, but there was nothing amiss with her as he complained. Like all of his wives, her virtues were besmirched by him. I sometimes wish that he hadn't been my father. I detested him. But if I had been left to die as a stillborn babe, then you wouldn't be here, Alice, nor Roger. But, oh, when I tell you your grandmother was Catherine of Aragon, my heart swells with pride. However, when I tell you your grandfather was King Henry, I cannot bring myself to rejoice. Later that day, all of Lady Anne's party rode on to Blackheath where her official welcoming ceremony was to take place. I was looking forward to going home again, as soon as Lady Anne was settled in her new household, but there were still a few more ceremonies to get through. As we rode up to the bottom of Shooter's Hill, approaching Blackheath, we saw a large golden-tented pavilion standing in the middle of a group of other tents. Lady Anne was, as always, cheerful, she was tired and travel-stained after our journey. Catherine, the Duchess of Suffolk, gestured to her to dismount and walk into the golden structure. As she passed through the entrance, a drift of scented smoke wafted across all of the waiting staff and courtiers. Even the air was to be perfumed for the next queen. Catherine emerged and beckoned me and Anne's ladies to follow her, Inside, there were priceless carpets on the floor, fires smoking in every corner, and many chests containing Anne's court clothes. Her ladies started stripping Anne's outer garments from her, taking off her hood and boots. She was talking animatedly with them, her customary good nature, not in evidence. The Duchess of Suffolk whispered to me, in England's name, Cat, play something merry. She's telling her ladies that the king is different from how she imagined him to be. We must distract her. I was not surprised. Looking at this fresh young woman, how could anyone expect that she would welcome the attentions of an overweight and elderly bully? His ulcerated leg, which had never healed, emitted a strong, sour smell which all the musk and amber in the world could not mask. And the pain he suffered made him bitter and angry for most of the time. Poor Lady Anne. I didn't want to imagine what she was feeling. But I had forgotten what she thought of marriage. She thought differently from me. She knew, as well as any man, that her marriage to King Henry was to cement the alliance between England and Cleves. It was politics, alliances and the need for heirs. Feelings didn't come into it. Unfortunately for the king, feelings did come into it. He had wooed and won every one of his previous wives. He still had romantic ideas about chivalric love and he couldn't see how he could be Sir so loyal heart for this gauche girl whose hands were as large as a milkmaid's. Will had told me quietly that all of the king's romantic fervour had dissipated. Whereas he had set out to Rochester, determined to declare his true love for this woman he had only seen in a painting, he left it feeling that he could not love her. He had been deceived and his picture of the beautiful lady of Cleves had proved to be a mirage. Cromwell is concerned but he hopes that the King will find Anne pleasing enough when he gets to know her. I mean, there's nothing wrong with her. She's agreeable, and she will produce good, strong airs for him. Surely, when the King saw Lady Anne this time, he would change his mind. The German ladies were taking no chances. Her hair was brushed until it shone, then braided carefully. They cleansed her stocky figure and then perfumed her with a heavy rose oil. She stepped into a golden gown and fine leather boots. Her black velvet cap was set with pearls, the symbol of virginity. Finally, great ropes of jewellery were hung around her neck, each one the value of a small estate. She stood in the middle of it all, biting her lip, raising her arms as required. Then she turned to the Duchess of Suffolk and nodded that, yes, she was ready. She walked calmly out of the pavilion to a white palfrey that was as richly adorned as she was and mounted it. She rode well, carefully, towards Greenwich Palace from whence the King would be travelling to meet her. I watched their meeting and no one would have imagined that anything could be wrong king spoke very courteously to her and she then replied with a speech she must have learnt. Her English was heavily accented but she was word perfect. Everyone in the waiting crowds clapped and whistled their approval. The king dismounted and helped Anne from her horse. Then hobbling slightly he led her towards Greenwich Palace. They spoke to each other their words mediated by the little translator, who tagged along behind them. At the entrance to the courtyard, the king embraced her, kissing her sweetly on the lips. I was glad to see it. There was no sign of dismay. Instead, there were smiles, frequent touches of the shoulder and undivided attention. This would work out, surely. They were meant to marry the following day but for some reason, the ceremony was delayed. Will told me the King wanted to be sure that Lady Anne was free to marry as she had been pre-contracted to another man. But they ended the contract years ago. There's no issue, Will said, and my master Cromwell is looking more and more troubled. It is the King who is making problems and that isn't good news. I was concerned for Lady Anne. Would she be sent back in disgrace? but she'd done nothing wrong. And if she was sent packing, King Henry's alliance with Cleves would never survive. Catherine, the Duchess of Suffolk, made sure that none of these concerns reached Lady Anne. Insulated by her lack of English, she remained calm, exploring the Queen's apartments and meeting key members of her household. The delay lasted for two days while King Henry berated Cromwell ordering him to find some way out. But for once, this king had to bow to the weight of circumstance. On the morning of the 6th of January, the couple married in the royal chapel. I was one of a crowd of servants and courtiers watching as the couple arrived. The king's face was hard, but his robes were magnificent. He wore cloth of gold embossed with solid silver flowers Diamonds sparkled from every inch of him, as if he had walked through a rainfall of unparalleled richness. Lady Anne was nearly as splendid. Her cloth of gold gown was set through with large pearls, and she wore her blonde hair loose, with a golden coronet holding it in place. It was a simple ceremony, or so I heard. Later they went to Mass together, all the time talking amicably, albeit through Anne's overworked translator. I did not stay. I went back to the maid's dormitory, where I packed up my belongings. This was part of my agreement with the Duchess of Suffolk that I could leave once Lady Anne was married, and I was eager to get back to see my children. I sent word to Will that I was going home, and he came away from the ceremonies to escort me. I was waiting in the Grand Hall when the Duchess passed on her way to the Royal Mass. She stopped briefly. Thank you, Cat. You have made our new Queen's first days cheerful with song. I hope you will return to court at some time. I curtsied to her. Thank you, Your Grace. I have to spend some time with my children now, I said, pretending to be regretful. She laughed lightly. I don't understand why it matters that you are there. You have provided handsomely for them. They're well looked after. I looked at her, finding it hard to sympathise. Of course, these aristocratic ladies entrusted their babies to servants. But were they not happy about this? I know that Queen Catherine missed her daughter Mary desperately, but she was not typical. Catherine smiled warmly at me. She didn't understand my feelings, but she was a kindly woman. "'Maybe you can come back sometimes. "'Live with your babies, but give us your music when you can. "'I hope so.' I curtsied but stayed silent. The Duchess of Suffolk shrugged her shoulders and swept on to attend to the Queen. I did not place too much credence on her words. Here was an offer that would be forgotten, I was certain.' I could hardly wait to see you, my daughter Alice and your brother Roger. I wanted to kiss you and play with you. I was going to start to teach you your letters Alice. You are an educated woman and that was because I taught you at home. You can cook because of Tom's lessons in the kitchen and Jane taught you how to sew. You have many more domestic skills than I did going as a very young girl to the court, but in your learning, your writing and musicianship. You are my daughter. I flung myself into Will's arms when I saw him. He was dressed in a black velvet doublet, a garment fitting for an up-and-coming man of the law. His curly hair was cropped close to his head in the fashion set by the king, and his short beard showed off the hard line of his jaw. I felt a thrill of pride in him. This handsome man was my husband, a man who had achieved much and risen far beyond his roots. I loved him so much. Will chuckled as my arms encircled him. Wife, wife, this is not the ardour of an old married woman, he whispered in my ear, but I am pleased to see it. He lifted up the veil at the back of my hood and kissed me on the nape of my neck. I felt my insides melt. Tonight will be ours, my cat, in our own bed. Let's make another baby, my love. I clung to him. Will we be together as family now, Will? Of course, my love. We walked down to the river and took a skiff to the Barbican area. It was a short walk from the moorings to our little house. It was dark and quiet when we arrived and I knew that the children would be in bed. Jane and Tom were sitting by the fire in the kitchen, drinking spiced ale. Jane jumped up when she saw us. Master Will, my mistress, it is so good to see you. Come and share some ale with us. Tom stood and embraced Will. Welcome, my son and my cat. This household is complete again. We joined them by the fire, and Jane produced some sausage and bread for us to eat. The fire bathed us four in its rosy light, and we feasted off our love and companionship. After we'd eaten, Jane smiled at me. Children are fine, mistress. Would you like to see them? We tiptoed up to the room where the children slept with Jane. You were there, my Alice. Your face dimly lit by the ty- dying fire in the grate. You slept sweetly, with your thumb in your mouth, your hair curling around the sides of your nightcap. Walter, Jane's son, slept beside you, his mouth open. The baby, Roger, was restless in his crib, making little noises as he moved from side to side. I was not worried. See, he's dreaming of his mother comes home. He's missed you, mistress. He he kept looking towards the door, hoping to see you. I felt my heart lurched. You and Roger loved me and depended on me. I could not leave you again. Jane and I crept out of the chamber. She turned to me and whispered, I'll be off to sleep now, Mistress, if you don't need anything else. Of course, Jane. Thank you for looking after my children so well will was waiting for me in our chamber pouring two goblets of wine he offered me one let us drink to ourselves my love he told me that i was his world his everything and that he could not imagine living without me we had had difficult times but on that night our love burned undimmed we talked for a long time He told me about his ambitions to become a successful lawyer. I told him of my contentment as a wife and mother, and I trusted him enough to tell him that I hoped to work as a musician at some time in the future. My music was a part of me that I could not deny for ever. He kissed me and told me that he understood, and he promised that he would support me whatever I wanted to do. I felt such a flood of love for him when he said that. My heart seemed to overflow. That night we celebrated as couples often do. We made another baby. Right, so I'm leaving a bit of space so that I can cut the tail ends and put in the music. Uh, You can see um, that uh, I had a companion and um, I hope he wasn't too noisy and I did make a few mistakes but uh, all live yeah okay then well um, I hope you enjoy it you can put comments on the um, on the tail end of this video and um, who knows I might be brave enough to try it again one day okay bye-bye for now